1: 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food. Our guests share the recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is Jacinta and she's a member of Under-Earners Anonymous, and she'll be talking about how Under-Earners Anonymous has helped her recovery from under-earning. So welcome to the show, Jacinta.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill.
1: In the show, we usually talk about recovery from compulsion and addiction and the events that influence your life. But as this is the first time we've had a member of Under-Earners Anonymous on the show, would you like to start by giving our listeners an overview of Under-Earners Anonymous?
0: Yep, sure. So Under-Earners Anonymous is basically as it sounds, people who are under earning. You come into the program, I guess, thinking about money, you know, not earning enough money to support our own needs or future needs. But it, you soon realize that it's more about, it's more than money. It's about under being, not living up to your potential. People have described it as hiding. And it's it's kind of, they also describe it as the PhD of all 12-step programs. We look at our time, how we're spending our time. There's lots of tools. It's a very proactive program. My recovery revolves around lots of action tools, connecting with other members. And to be honest, Bill, when I started working you, I, I realized, wow, now I actually know how to work the program and how I can work my other programs I, I also had been in Al-Anon and I'd been in NA Narcotics Anonymous and particularly I think with the powerlessness over under earning when I realized how powerless I was over my disease if you like the things I couldn't do in terms of Al-Anon being powerless over my husband I understood if I'm so powerless over myself I'm obviously powerless over him <laughs> so yeah
1: okay right well listen we we usually start by talking about family and growing up and and how we got to the situation we were in where we sought help so do you want to talk about growing up and the things that influenced you and your family life
0: yeah sure I guess yeah UA's was kind of like when I did a four-step it was like we're going to do a really thorough four-step and we're gonna get off the couch of the past and start living in today and for the future. So it was quite thorough. We went back over the childhood things and did a thorough fourth step. I think the, the influences I saw or messages I got from my parents around what money was, you know, my dad working lots of hours and then retiring early with illness. Uh, I think he must've got a payout and he lost that money, but you know, I didn't really know the details and then back sort of working again. So kind of like working and being absent with nothing to show for it. And with my mum, I guess, she held, you know, there was a lot of judgment stuff around and messages, people with money, or more importantly, the prestige of the job and how much she revered that and held them in high esteem. But at the same time, there was a message that, you know, but it's not good, you know, it doesn't bode well and and quite scornful and any mishaps, you know, it was to do with the money or, you know, it doesn't make you happy, just subliminal kind of messages like that.
1: Yeah. So did you have any drug or alcohol problems in your family as a child?
0: Yes. So there is alcoholism in my family and both my parents, I want to say, are adult children. My dad ended up living with his auntie and my mum also lived with her auntie. She lost her mum when uh, she was born. So they were both struggling. And my mum, yeah, is also a member and found, you know, help in Al-Anon. And, uh, yeah, so I was a drug addict and that's how she found Al-Anon. I told her to go there. And, yeah, I found NA when I was 21 and I got clean and I've... I'm still clean. it's been about i found u a after twenty years of recovery in n a and if I hadn't have found u a uh i think i would i may have i may have relapsed I was so depressed, i was so unhappy i just i actually thought there just can't be a god <laughs> <laughs> and I tried, yeah. Like so, some areas of my life were thriving, and it was starting to impact those areas in terms of family as well and parenting. Yeah, it it, it, was, it was quite painful. Yeah.
1: Okay. So what what sort of a kid were you? Were you a happy, friendly kid?
0: Uh, I think I I was quite terrified of other children. I remember. You know, if they're at the park, I was like, I hope they leave so that I can go to the swings, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so school was pretty terrifying. But you soon gravita- gravitate to the people that, you know, are your friends, probably other people with alcoholism in their family. You know, yeah. the <laughs> in um, But I was actually deaf as well, so that was quite scary, not knowing what was going on. I wasn't fully deaf, but I was deaf enough that people were like, what's wrong with you? yeah and, and getting into trouble a lot because i but I still managed to learn. I must have been quite smart, but but yeah, I couldn't hear, and they found that out in grade two. So there was a lot of confusion and and strange looks, and I had a lot of shame. I felt I think just a lot of shame and and I'm being really uncomfortable with who I was, yeah terrified.
1: yeah, yeah shame's a shame's a bit of a killer, that's for sure. So having a mum and a dad who were affected by their parents, drinking isn't a good good way to start so I think you you said before you you had friends that were of a similar ilk so did that influence your life having having I guess limited friends
0: I don't yeah I don't know I don't really look back and, and think that I had limited friends I think I I just felt that Other people just had a really good handle on how to be kids and be carefree and had supportive parents. And not that my parents didn't love me. I actually had a lot of guilt and shame being an addict, you know, that I knew they loved me, but why am I so, you know, messed up? Uh, What what have I done wrong, you know? But, yeah, they, they didn't have the skills to support me as much as they tried and did their best.
1: Yeah. So did things change as you moved through school, going into secondary school and things like that? Did your life improve?
0: Well, no, it was quite sad going to an all-girls school and saying goodbye to the boys. They were good friends. And, yeah, I didn't like the girls' environment. I mean, I ended up with a a lovely group of close friends, but I became quite notorious and I don't want to say bullied, but everyone in the whole school and the wider community uh, it was a catholic education uh all found out about me and and um yeah some boys and I was like fourteen at the time, so I was actually probably i, I don't want to say probably I, I was being abused and i didn't well coerced i just didn't yeah it was a difficult time, so everyone just i was just labeled at, with a certain label and and we were kind of rebellious and and yeah drug use and alcohol started then and other misbehaviors. But yeah, we we were good, happy, had lots of fun all the same at school. But yeah, it was us and them all the time.
1: Yeah. So did that impact your education?
0: I think it in in some ways it spurned it on. And then towards the end as my drug use progressed, it impacted it. And and also the paranoia of um, and the not showing up uh yeah depression just just bad living habits you know being really tired not sleeping trying to work and uh, not not make well classic symptom of unearning you know not being able to make use of my time and the perfectionism yeah suffered I think and it had nervous breakdown in year 12 and went and lived with my brother and yeah managed to pull it together and and got my B. C. E. and and it was like I just felt I could have I who knows what I could have would have done, but I just I just went off to the first easiest course. And when they said you're in, I didn't bother going to any other interviews. So I just went to that university. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So going to uni, were you able to sort of break free a bit or not?
0: Uh, break free in terms of,
1: oh, I guess to, to change your life, or was it more of the same at uni?
0: I think it was probably just finding a few, you know, good connections, people who are like me. But, yeah, more of the same, still not really using my time well and just sort of doing what needed to be done to get through, like not really being present there. And I quit after the second year. And, of course, yeah, the alcohol and and drugs just – well, I never thought of myself an alcoholic, but, yeah, the whole – Uh, saying, yeah, I I couldn't keep going after second year. I think I, I, I dropped out a few weeks into second year.
1: Yes, a lot of people drop out of uni and a lot of people see uni as a way to party and enjoy life. So were you into that sort of party scene at uni?
0: Probably. I probably was, but I was still doing my work and learning. I remember that as well. I think I'd probably thought yeah that that was what you did or part of the part of the course,
1: yeah, so what about your exposure to drugs and alcohol then you You said it started I think around fourteen or so, mm. but were you using drugs and alcohol on a regular basis at that point?
0: Yes, I was, yes, and sort of and dealing drugs as well. And yeah, I'd been involved in with a lot of shady characters and and had you know violent relationships and yeah and and other ways to earn money which was lucrative but yeah probably unhealthy.
1: Okay, were you sort of anxious about doing things like dealing
0: drugs? Yes, but only because I didn't want to get arrested. Otherwise, I did. I didn't have a lot of fear. I was pretty fearless with, and and enjoyed the adrenaline of all that kind of thing. I think I didn't like people who. I remember there was one transaction, and I felt, looking back, um, doing this program that, wow, that was a really under earning transaction. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and they kind of shamed me, you know, because I held these people in esteem on a pedestal, or wanted to be, you know, in their in their club. You know, they were cool people, and um, and yeah, it was just one of those things.
1: <laughs> but they shortchanged it,
0: Yeah, yeah I I, I under earning is kind of there's a symptoms so where you um you know we don't get paid for what we're worth.
1: Fair value, fair pricing.
0: Valuing and fair pricing, correct. And, yeah, I had I had stuff of good value. And sometimes with stuff of good value, it doesn't react the way it normally does. And they talked me into, you know, giving them more because it wasn't working as they thought it was. And if anything, I should have been – they should have been paying me double, you know. But I, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, oh sorry, oh, you yeah. know, here you go. <laughs> uh,
1: it's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah. A lot of people who come from, you know, drug and alcohol areas have low self-esteem. So did that characterise you as well?
0: Uh, Yes, definitely. Yes. Yes. And and I think I swung from bravado and, you know, outgoing feeling that I was, you know, the life of the party to, yes, very low self-esteem. And I think the drug and alcohol was my cure for that.
1: Yeah, it often is, isn't it? It's, it's to make us feel, I guess, to not worry about the outside things. Mm, yeah. And, and really they only get worse.
0: Correct, correct.
1: In yeah. that way, yeah. So what about relationships? You know, difficult at the best of times, but with drug and alcohol involved, they often get quite complicated. So was that an issue for you?
0: Depends on what relationships you're looking for, I think. Yeah, nothing's good when you're on drugs or if you're an addict. Nothing's going to be prosperous or, uh, you know, yeah, proper connections. You're just not present, yeah.
1: Yeah. So how did you go meeting partners?
0: What kind of partners?
1: Well, I guess people that you wanted to form a a close relationship with.
0: Uh, I I didn't really. It it was always drug-motivated from a young age and then I I didn't really look for it other than that apart from uh yeah just probably just friends with benefits a lot of the time yeah exchange exchange for, for drugs a lot of them and uh yeah um I ended up I actually had a psychosis and the guy who was my good friend and I we lived together I lived with five guys at one stage and one of them was a good friend who I'd had for a couple of years. And, uh, yeah, we ended up in a relationship. But I, I it was the day I was having the psychosis. I think it was just like an accident. <laughs> we were just friends and we still are just friends. We should have been, been just friends. Yeah. Other than that, I, I didn't want, I didn't, I wasn't looking for that.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It wasn't just to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So after you left uni, then what happened for you?
0: Yeah, um, I found the program because of the psychosis. So I went, I went into an institution, and uh, I found a psycho. Had, they had to medicate me to get out, you know, and I had to keep being medicated when I got out. And this luckily, the psychiatrist I saw um, knew about twelve steps, and uh, he diagnosed me as having a personality disorder. And a borderline anorexic. And he said, I think you should go to an NA meeting. And um, I, I ended up at an AA meeting, or well, maybe he knew where that was, but he didn't. He said, they'll know where NA was. I can't remember what the story was, but I did go to an AA meeting with my sister and then found out where NA was from there.
1: Okay. Well, listen, we might take a break there.
2: The like- sad,
1: song was by Hayley Jensen and it was called Better Than That. It was courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
0: If you're a renter experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, you can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian Government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for rent relief grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Ayan.
1: You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR. 8.55 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how you can contact us. Uh, today I'm talking with Jacinta, and we're talking about her recovery with the help of under Anonymous. Um, so, Jacinta, before the break, we are talking about um, leaving or... or stopping uni and uh, you said you went into an institution and you're diagnosed and you're recommended to go to NA Mm. but you went to an AA meeting so what was that like for you going somewhere that where people had similar sort of problems to you?
0: Well I went to my first NA meeting and I just I did have some identification but unfortunately I had a lot of comparing and I think there was a rehab there and it's like, I'm not that bad. You know, I don't relate to, you know, heroin and this kind of thing. And I wasn't that kind of addict. So I stopped going and then I did everything I said I wasn't going to do. And then I, I, re, I was trying to stop on my own. I think I'm quite, I think that I'm quite self-sufficient, you know, and then I know how to do it all. I'm quite smart and uh, had a plan and had a few last suppers. And I thought, oh, I know what else I'll do. I'll go to a meeting. I remember that those worked. I'll go along to one of those. So this was in another town. And um, yeah, that was the start of my recovery turning up there. And uh, I identified, I wanted what they had.
1: So what was it about what they had that you wanted?
0: Uh, they were, they were still who they were, you know, they weren't, being anyone different like they were just themselves but they didn't have to use you could tell they were just happy to just be who they were I think the security of uh just knowing that the next day is gonna be a normal day and and the day after that and the day after that without all this drama and having to get and use and find ways and means to use more
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. Did that surprise you to know that people were happy not
0: using? No, I think it also struck me. I think they mentioned God, and I kind of thought, oh right, okay, I get it now. So if anything's going to work, that that will work, or something like that. Well, that makes sense. That that would work. Yeah, I get it now. Because I, because otherwise, because I knew that I, yeah, I get it. That I, I, I couldn't. I tried. <laughs> I couldn't stop. You know. Yeah. So something will happen to you so that you can stop. And so, like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah. So what was it that helped you to stop?
0: The desperation, I think I just became really desperate and terrified that if I don't get humble and pray, I'm not going to get what these people have got and I'll miss my opportunity and I don't want that to happen. Yeah, so I um, I did, did really sort of, yeah cry out for help i guess in my mind you know or to the stars and uh the next day i think i ran into a member often used to happen that he'd just run into me down the street and i think he said come to a meeting every day not just once a week yeah because the meeting the na meeting was just on every monday he said you got to come every day because I'd mentioned that I'd had a drink. And he said, oh, no, you can't drink. That's a drug. And because that had tipped off me into another spree kind of thing. And I didn't know he didn't, couldn't drink. You know, it's just learning. You can't pick it all up at one meeting, you know. So, yes, I was willing to do whatever they said. So, uh, yeah, I did I did that. And and to pray, to wake up and actually pray and ask my high power to keep me clean that day. I knew that I had He'd said that's what you have to do. It's like, oh, okay, you've got to ask for it every day.
1: Yeah, I, I think the big thing about recovery is that ability to ask for help, because mm. we sort of we're so intent on hiding the fact that we have a problem that we don't ask for help, and that asking for help is really important to to sort of, I guess, to lose the stigma. Mm. Uh, that it just becomes an everyday sort of activity. Yeah, so. Coming from there then, NA provided you with some stability and allowed you to get off uh, drugs and alcohol in real terms. So how did your life, you know, change then?
0: I, I, I was, like, really happy and I was, like, rubbing my hands with glee, like, like great, now I can live my life, you know, and do all the things I wanted to do without that. And uh, I thought my life would take off and um, I think I went back to to school or went back to uni or did something. It wasn't the the uni course I was doing previously, but I um, can't remember what happened, but I stopped going fairly quickly because it was just too much and I just just couldn't do it. I had to focus on recovery or I was a mess or I was mad or something. But, um, yeah, I I did get into a relationship, but I, I worked the program pretty well. You know, I really didn't want to get into this relationship. I really tried not to because it wasn't suggested in the first 12 months. But um, in the end, I kind of gave in and I did ask for help and I asked people. I rang, I went to the rehab, even though I was clean, I went because someone suggested I was doing willing to do anything people suggested and someone suggested to do that because it would be a good idea. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, was it a good idea. But anyway, I rang the guy from the rehab who was another member and he said, look, it's Okay. For someone to love you and it's okay it's okay to love someone and it's okay for them to love you so i just took and i went okay I, was, I just got to surrender i suppose i put it out there and then another guy was sharing if you fall in love you fall in love but i think i i can't remember were we together then or not but um yes i did ask around and, and outreach about it but i i did get into relationship and then not long after that i was pregnant yeah and we now have we're still married we have two boys and two granddaughters well wow. <laughs> that's a that's
1: a big uh, big step
0: yeah
1: right so what was it like having children for you after sort of not feeling you could manage your own life having you know children that you've got to manage their lives for
0: yeah that, that was fine. I was mostly, most of the time, and the regret I still have now is I was just obsessed with what am I going to do with my life, you know? I have to do my, do my career or um, whatever it is. And uh, I remember my husband saying, oh, I've got this little job. You can do this, you know? And I'm like, and I did it for a while, and then I kind of was like, and I just couldn't see this thing where, you know, how about you earn some money? And it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, but it was always... But, but this is how I earn money and, and you're asking me to do this and, you know, that's taking me for away from what I need to be doing, you know, like my, my dream job, you know, <laughs> and if I'm spending my time, you know, hours and hours and getting paid, you know, this piddly amount, you know, that's taking away time. I could be, you know, doing amazing things, earning better money or whatever. But uh, so that, I remember that early on and that was classic under-earning in a nutshell i think yeah
1: so did your kids allow you to i guess in, enjoy their childhood
0: yeah i don't know whether they allowed me to but i i enjoyed it yeah yeah and, and it was so lovely to be clean and be present and be able to just play with them and be in the moment yeah get in their world and and i so didn't want to mess it up you know i just wanted to do the best job yeah, yeah.
1: So you, you mentioned you've been um, in NA for, what, more than 20 years. So what's it like now for you, you know, living as you are with the benefit of, of being clean that long?
0: Well, it's only really good now because I'm in UA, I have to say. You know, okay. I, I got, like I said, the things that were thriving in my life, like kids, like, like my husband, relationship with family, they were all starting to suffer because of my under-earnings. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't a good example to my kids. I don't reckon I. Um, I was. I was probably ha- have caused my husband a lot of pain and my kids, to be honest. I mean, my husband is in recovery too, and and he has his problems, and we could both. It's, it's both of us, obviously too. But you know, could sort of say that I certainly had my part in it, and, and I guess under owner, it's always going to all you you know it's all about you. you you've done it all wrong um it's all your fault the whole lot but it's not like but I can certainly see how I would have so been able to support him a lot better and be a better example to my kids and by serving myself and being of service yeah and serving me
1: yeah so how did you find out about under anonymous
0: yeah, so I was going to some meetings in Melbourne. It was so painful to to be 20 years clean and have people say they were brand new, whether they had a career or whether they had a job or travelled overseas. We had been in, like, crippling, horrible poverty and debt for 10 years, and it was just really painful. Um, someone I'd gone to a – and i tried everything. And anyway, I'd gone to this party – a UA uh, like sorry a fellowship NA thing and another NA member who mentioned a meeting turned out to be a a DA meeting but um, it was related to to my profession and uh, I um, just sort of thought oh great you know this is good Um, but actually things kind of got worse for me in DA I quit my job I had a had a bit of a job Totally unrelated to my skills and talents, and um, I quit my job. And I was just so kind of angry that people could have the problem where they spent too much money. Like if only I had that problem, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't really a debtor. My I kind of had debt, but that my husband really brought that into our family, not me. And yeah, I just. I knew that I was an under earner I didn't identified with that word as soon as I heard it because they mentioned that in DA in debtors anonymous um and anyway someone there happened to say hey did you know there's an under earners anonymous and I was like no tell me that so yeah got online read the symptoms and I was so happy I just thought wow this is me this has been me all my life this has been me since you know, I got clean and um, I'm going to be really good at this. And, and Bill, in 20 years in NA, I didn't really sponsor people like I did here and there, but not really well. People didn't, weren't attracted to me. They didn't ask me to sponsor them. A lot of the time I was in country towns, but, you know, it just wasn't thriving in any measure. Um, but yeah, got to... And you, I just thought I'm going to actually help people with this, you know. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. I just thought I can help other people <laughs> or um, or I'll be good at this. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> a relief.
1: <laughs> well, it's a good feeling when you feel like you can help someone else who doesn't understand their problem. Yeah. Because having the experience of some recovery, you can see the potential a lot quicker, I think, of mm-hmm. other programs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, debtors anonymous, and um, yeah, we've been trying for a little while to to get debtors anonymous somebody from debtors anonymous on the show. So, as I mentioned before, we should have a chat about that and see if we can get someone on. So, in Underearners anonymous, then, do you want to talk about some of the the things that that you benefit from in Underearners anonymous, the, the sort of help it gives you in clarifying your
0: life? Yeah, sure and look, part of part of the symptoms sometimes is or part of the traits is is not sort of being able to see our true worth or or having it having it sort of misconstrued. you know, like I might think I'm really good at one thing and bad at another, whereas actually the opposite is the case and that kind yeah. of. Um, yeah. And it is difficult to sort of sometimes talk about successes, but I suppose I struggled in an. I was someone who was always doing more courses and more courses, and never feeling qualified to actually. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd done a little bits of work, but always underpaid. With freelance, found it all painful and difficult because I couldn't charge properly, and I just desperately needed someone to give me a job, but I, I just couldn't get around. I didn't know how to do it. I had to just let go of my idea of what I need to do with my life. I can't solve it. I just couldn't solve it. I could have had all the opportunities in the world. I could have had all the privileges in the world and I would still find my way to the moldy cheese. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the, the good things. And, um, and so I did learn to surrender and that the problem was my thinking, my under earning thinking. Yeah. So I, I ended up working and part of my vision was to sort of work or be spend more time with my husband and and I I went and worked with him and then I set up a company and yeah and we now earn six figures and I have a job where I have fulfillment now and I am using some of those skills that I got with all those courses and degrees but I feel fulfilled in my in my job now and I can be of service and it, it isn't difficult to earn money. And I have prosperity where I've got time to be with my family. Yeah, I can live my life pretty well today and feel that I'm getting those benefits. But the main thing is probably the relationships, yeah, sponsoring people, the connections. Like I said, there's lots of tools that you need to do in UA connects me with lots of people that's part of a prosperous vision for me you know having lots of people in my life who I like and are supportive uh it's it's a really interesting tricky program and recovery to talk about you have bottoms you have different bottoms it is hard to get your head around and recovery is a long slow recovery uh, but, yeah, I was able to turn around and go, uh, a lot of people say they're able to work their other programs better. Yeah, it's just a long, slow recovery, and, and it's just coming to be who you are. The other t- thing they talk about is underbeing, you know, and learning to just come to uh, do, you, you know, your life's vision. A lot of people aren't always under-earners in the terms of, I don't know, I'm just talking about the program now, not, not me, but, you know, they might have earned a lot of money, but they really want to be, you know, musicians, so they can <laughs> They would do what they want to do, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's under underachieving, I guess, rather than under-earning.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take another break there. The second song was also by Hayley Jensen, uh, this time singing Breaking Hearts, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
0: Health before Profits is a campaign to oppose the Liberal Party's reckless drive to reopen, which threatens the health and safety of Australia's poor, working class and Indigenous communities. We demand an immediate return to a zero-COVID elimination strategy before it's too late. Join us for online forums, activism and campaigns. To find out more, follow Health Before Profits Vic on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Health Before Profits is
2: a 3CR supporter.
0: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
1: Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by Law, 6pm Tuesdays. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And I'm talking with Jacinta and we're talking about her recovery and how Under-Earners Anonymous has helped her. So, Jacinta, we were talking about really, I guess, coming into your own and achieving a lot of the things that you really wanted to achieve in life now that you have the benefit of understanding, under-earning or underachieving or under-being. So, do you want to talk about, uh, I guess, the things that you see in people coming in to Undereararners Anonymous, you know, the sort of the, the typical, or not the typical, but I guess a, a, a profile of people coming in with problems and, and how Underearners Anonymous helps them?
0: Yeah, sure. I guess a lot of the people in UA are often from other 12-step fellowships and I I mean if there's anyone out there who is in another 12-step program I'd love to reach them because that was me you know and not sort of going this doesn't work or I'm going to relapse or or, I'm going to leave 12 steps but you don't have to there's people who come from you know who'd never been into 12 steps before I guess I can only sort of put a snapshot out of what was going on for me before I came to the program you know like I was I was in a job that was totally unrelated to my skills and talents and it was a really good job for people who liked that kind of thing Um, and I could have progressed. I was kind of, you know, um, pushed or uh, not pushed, um, suggested, you know, to to step up the ladder, you know, to to get a promotion or recommended and and encouraged and um, I just didn't know what to do with that Bill I just didn't know what to do I kind of wanted it but I didn't wanted it you know I was really cross with it taking up my time like I mentioned before I was so cross that this job was taking up my valuable time where I could be furthering skills and talents and getting better at something else and this isn't my vision work and I just didn't know how to live with work. I, I, it was called like there's hiding and biting, you know, like I was angry. I was, um, it was awful. It was painful to be so ungrateful and know that I had a job that was, wasn't too bad because I'd had some worse ones. And it was quite painful to sort of feel ungrateful. And I did a good job, you know, I worked really hard. And that's the other thing, you know, like exertion, exhaustion. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't there to be of service. I was only there for the low wage. So I could have got a lot more from the opportunity and um, yeah, I didn't bother to pick up new skills I could have done in that job. Cause I thought, cause I'm not going to do this forever, you know, <laughs> whatever it was, or this isn't where I want to be. And I was probably always talking to co-workers about, you know, wanting to get out and what I wanted to do, you know, and this sort of thing. And so when I got into UA, I actually went back to that job as a casual. So it was earning more money, which was sort of a funny thing. But that's what sort of what happens when you're in DA, actually, as well. And, you know, I didn't have to work when I had to work. It was just when I wanted to work. And uh, so I had that flexibility and earning more money. And I learned how to be a worker amongst workers. And I think it's like UA is, is kind of like going back to the core of of Narcotics Anonymous. You know, the core of the disease is this chronic self-centeredness. And it wasn't a self-centeredness as in, you know, stuff you, you know, I want my my lot in life. It was just kind of like it was. It's such a struggle whether they were they were things I'd learnt from the past and old patterns of behaviors or. But I was really willing. I was trying so many different things and really open, but I just couldn't. The obsession with what am I going to do and how am I going to fix this and just to focus on me, and I didn't even realise so that, that that's all I ever thought about. It was a total obsession with how am I going to make money or what should I do or different ideas. You know, I remember my niece said, Oh, you know you should make earrings and I, I felt like punching her you know like I just I just didn't have another person you know suggest something that I got wrong or didn't do it right or something like that and not that I wasn't I did try different suggestions and yeah I just couldn't get my foot in the door I couldn't i was so unhappy uh so yes uh learning to be a worker among workers and you learn in your way that it's about how is it serving me so it's not always about the money. It's not about the job you're doing either. It's how is it serving me? You know if you're working somewhere and you get to see hills and mountains or walk past the wharf every day and you might be doing a menial job, but you love it, you know that's what's important. And if you are enriching people's lives and your own, you know it's about what's your vision, you know what what makes you happy? it's it's um, yeah, and to be of service that it's just the taking the focus, I think, off ourselves, and it is a slow recovery. You know, learn, I'm just going to quote some of the stuff because it sort of says before you know the, the other road is misery, depression, anxiety, mental institutions, and in, and this is what it says in way In some cases, prison or suicide, like it's the same thing. It's that it's that bad. <laughs> and I reckon I was heading there. Uh, and it, in recovery, you know, a new strand of sanity every week improves functional decisions, quality of thinking and, and new prosperity decisions. And it's all about self-care. You know, my sponsor just keeps saying it's about self-care. It's just just about always looking at how can I turn this around, you know, the, neg- the negative thinking or the negative self-talk, just ways, the basics too, you know, the getting enough sleep, drinking water, eating well. <laughs> Uh, looking after ourselves on all levels
1: yeah well they're all they're all good ideas that's for sure Uh, one of the other things that i read in some of your literature was about um possessions and having possessions that are low quality low value and the importance of having things that are good so do you want to talk a bit about that
0: yeah sure um possession consciousness yeah i guess I'm, I'm still working on that one i mean i i uh i still have a lot of stuff to chuck out i don't need to carry my life around with me and that's look it's not just stuff it's also you know those ideas don't serve me anymore or those people or that relationship sometimes but yeah my my relationships have improved in a way yeah like i ring my mum every day i can uh like I said, it's it's just it's better better uh, example to my kids who are adults now as well. And um, yeah, my husband was you know the main breadwinner, and I was sort of off, you know trying to do my thing all the time. And and it's that's completely done a 180 eight hundred eighty degree turnaround now. You know he's sort of semi retired and, and hopefully off to do uh, all these other pursuits of his own. And and I'm doing you know eighty of the work, and I'm really, really happy about that. That I can do that for us and um, for for our future, secure our future, and not have financial security. That was one of my um, visions of late. That, that that's come, you know, by the grace of whatever the universe. Um, yeah, I have financial security today. And uh, looking at what's next, what's next would be more of my vision stuff that I said does come into play, but uh, that I want to do more of. And that will be probably with my husband as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good.
1: Okay. Um, so do you want to go through, I guess, um, give us some idea of what a, a UA meeting is like?
0: Yes. So we have, I started off in a face-to-face meeting here in Melbourne, and then we've struggled to have a few here here and there, but, I think I learned pretty quickly. I went to a DA weekend and they mentioned about 90 meetings in 90 days. And I was like, oh, well, I've got to do that. I'm going to try that with UA. And uh, the, meeting, the meetings are available sort of around the clock. And there's like a, an American website with lots of phone meetings, which is where I got most of my recovery because there wasn't a lot going on in australia and now there's a a daily meeting phone meeting so phone meetings and zoom yep and uh it's um just like a normal meeting read the um the literature and share
1: yeah so i noticed that it uses like most other uh 12-step programs it uses the AA 12 steps and just replaces the word alcohol or alcoholic with under yes. earner. So I guess it, it it sort of implies that it's about your thinking, not so much the activity that you get involved in. So how has your thinking changed from where it was?
0: I think just coming from being of service. And I guess people would substitute alcohol. For hiding, being visible. I know my disease often sort of mentioned as being centred in my thinking or under being is the other one. Yeah. And in the A, they say, yeah, you know, not deading or being solvent. Um, there's lots of different tools. And I think the way that I can live my life today is all these powers. You know, I learned in step two, you know, your higher power isn't like some other external thing it's um a, a power greater than yourself can just be getting up and changing your position you know walking away <laughs> and uh going you know sitting in a different chair that could be a higher power it could be keeping your time you know the tools of the program you know okay what have I got next I might put the timer on and work for 45 minutes uh, and and get that done yeah I didn't really know how to how to use my time well uh, it could be you know the app, there's lots of connection lots of different tools in the program where we connect with other people so like action partners and action meetings and action group meetings yeah making an outreach call can be a power greater than myself prayer so there's lots of different ways to to live my life and um, just 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 doing nothing you know to to just have a break and uh, a uh, that, that often bears fruit for a lot of people too. You know, it's not about—they were describing UA as always busy but always hungry, like eating soup with a fork.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think from my experience, it's actively doing nothing to make the situation worse because often we wreck it for ourselves by our actions, and that's really soul destroying. Seeing mm-hmm. seeing yourself wreck your wreck your chances at stuff, yeah. So you talked about hiding. Do you want to talk a bit more about hiding?
0: Yeah, I guess, well, the founder kind of describes under earners as as wounded animals and, you know, if we, like, we come outside and, and like, the other animals can smell it on us, you know, kind of thing, and uh, we're terrified of, of being visible and being out there, you know, I guess, joining you know, the, the big party of life, you know, I guess the isolation, the um yeah, probably probably for me it's when I'm isolating a bit or I noticed that if I'm not visible and and sort of sharing my gifts and talents, I find other ways that are not healthy uh, to get attention. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I um I do need to be visible and I am, you know, visible. So yeah, that's that's the where they come from, the hiding. And I'm not very good at explaining it because uh, for me I know I relate more to the 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 under earning thinking for me. When I when I start to get obsessed with anything, yeah. Learn to let it go. And that's not me, that's my my under earning thinking, you know, kicking off. And it's just, yeah, and you know, there's lots of different things I've learned in the program. I sort of felt that you get quite busy and oh yeah, you know, plan my day and plan my time and keep a record of my time. And it's you're not a, you're not meant to be a human doing. You know, it's about being a human being and uh, just how is this serving me? And, and to organically with pause and grace, you know, do your day, being of service to to yourself and others.
1: Yeah, yeah, sounds good. If anybody listening would like to find out more about Earners Anonymous, you can visit their website, which is ua-au.org, for details of meetings, uh, available literature and other contact information. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jacinta, who's a member of Earners Anonymous, for joining us and sharing her lived experience. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Bill, for having me.
1: I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and be joined by Olivia, who's a member of Smart Recovery Australia. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.